We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. The Crisis Next Door. A weekly report on the biggest conflicts around the world. With host, Jason Brooks. Thanks for listening to The Crisis Next Door. I'm Jason Brooks. Libya's civil war has boiled at a simmer for five years, but now it threatens to overflow as the leader of the Libyan National Army marches on Tripoli, promising to oust the Islamist militias controlling the nation's capital. Joining the crisis next door to talk about the growing battle is Oded Berkowitz, Regional Director of Intelligence for Max Security, a geopolitical risk consulting firm based in Tel Aviv. Mr. Berkowitz is a captain in the Israel Defense Forces. Oded, thank you for joining The Crisis Next Door. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. General Khalifa Haftar's Libyan National Army launched an offensive to crush Islamist militias in Tripoli. Who exactly is Haftar and what are his aims for Libya? So Haftar um, used to be a, a military officer under Gaddafi, a very loyal one. And, and up until about 1987, where uh, he was sent on a mission into Chad, uh, that ended up with him being captured and, and then having Gaddafi disown him, essentially saying that he was rogue and operating on his own accord. And through that, uh, Haftar became uh, disenfranchised with the Gaddafi regime. And he was actually picked up by uh, the CIA and that offered uh, a plan uh, of him returning into Libya and overthrowing uh, Gaddafi. And that was foiled, and eventually he was airlifted uh, into the U.S., uh, where he spent about uh, 20 years or so uh, before returning to Libya during the, the 2011 revolution, in which he mostly uh, stood on the sidelines of uh, until uh, his launch of Operation Dignity uh, to retake Benghazi. And from there, uh, grew to a point where he has uh, probably the most influence uh, in the country for one single individual uh, and one faction that is very complicated, um, uh, but that is pretty much the current situation. How does an individual like Haftar, who was away from Libya for so long, come back to the country and, and quickly rise to the top of this powerful army? That's a great question. It, it's not as quickly as it sounds. Um, before he launched his operation into Benghazi, he essentially emerged out of almost anonymity. And, and before the launch of the operation, and many laughed at him and said that he stands no chance of it. And, and it was a very rough start for him. Benghazi uh, was a battle that took about three years to complete. And of course, while waging wars on other fronts at the same time, and, but it took him a lot of time to, to gain traction, a lot of time to, uh, uh, to gain success. What we've seen in the past few months uh, is almost unprecedented in uh, recent history, uh, Libya terms, uh, meaning their, uh, the LNA's swift success in the south and their advance toward Tripoli um, is nothing like it was 
uh, up until a few years ago, uh, where they were facing many hurdles, many difficulties along the way. And the, you know, however much we say of him as an individual and the amount of influence he has, he's also very, uh, a very divisive figure. And meaning that it's easy to think about it in terms of, first of all, the LNA being a single unified uh, military faction, when it's not exactly or not at all. Uh, it is very much like its opponent, a uh, band of militias, um, with off often um, contradicting ideologies and contradicting uh, interests and so on. Um, but um, to answer the original question, it's a little bit of the Libyan people being very wary of the situation and having experienced war and for the past eight years or so and, and looking for uh, one single strong figure to perhaps march them out of it. And along with the fact that, you know, Libya has many, many uh, layers of uh, competition, of uh, opposition to each other be it tribes, cities, uh, regions of the countries, uh, people that look for a unification of the country, people that look for federation and so on. And um, so it's very complex. Out of all of that, he is, you know, the main uh, unifying figure perhaps, but also one of the main, if not the main uh, divisive figures. The factionalism in Libya seems to be one of the critical factors in the civil war. And I want to get to that in just a little bit. First off, how powerful is the Libyan National Army? That's a difficult question to answer uh, because, again, uh, I want to emphasize the fact that despite the name, it's not actual, actually a military. It's a, it's a band of militias uh, with very different capabilities among them uh, from the weapons they use, the training they have or don't have, uh, up until the logistical uh, chain and so on. And of course, you know, considering who the, their adversaries are. What kind of hardware do they have? Are, do, are we talking about serious air power, artillery, uh, modern technology? And no, not really. So first of all, Libya has been under an embargo for uh, for years now. That's not to say that uh, some weapons, some weapon system don't, you know, slip through the embargo uh, by some of the different backers of the of the different factions. Uh, but most of the most of the different factions now rely on uh, old Qaddafi stockpiles uh, with whatever they can scramble uh, under the table, so to speak. And so they're running anything that they can get their hands off, uh, mostly obsolete uh, vehicles like T-55 tanks and MiG-21 and MiG-23 aircraft, some L-39 aircraft, which are trainers that were converted. Uh, for a, a ground attack and scrounging whatever they can to uh, uh, to make up improvised vehicles and you know a lot of technicals so essentially pickup trucks with uh, different weapons platforms uh, slapped on them uh, but everyone every now and again and uh, they get a shipment of uh, weapons ammo and a little bit more advanced vehicles from the different uh, regional backers. Haftar's opponent in Tripoli, the Government of National Accord, would you say it's the same scenario for the GNA and that it's it's a lot of militias and that they have the same sort of hardware setup as the Libyan National Army does? Yeah, definitely. Um, the situation with the GNA is even more complex um, just because of the place the GNA was born out of. 
Uh, it is the national uh, government of national accord. It was set up to be the uh, the unifying faction or the uh, government of unity for Libya, but um, it was anything but. Uh, they never got traction domestically. There were not uh, a result of any popular support. And uh, there was a lot of rejection when they first landed in Tripoli. Uh, and even though their situation got a little bit better along the way, and uh, they were never really welcomed uh, in the city and definitely not in Libya. And so the situation over there is even more fluid and even more uh, uh, difficult in terms of the coalition of the of the different militias, in terms of how loyal they are to each other and to the GNA. And so in that sense, again, the LNA is not an army, but it's uh, more cohesive uh, than any faction out of the GNA. They formed the Tripoli Protection Force, uh, grouping together various militias under joint operations. Uh, do you have doubts over that being successful in that coordination against Haftar's army attacking? Yes and no. Um, on the one hand, um, as I mentioned, every uh, coalition under the GNA, all the coalitions in Tripoli um, are looser or loose to start with. Um, even before the LNA threatened uh, Tripoli, uh, the TPF was born, the Tripoli Protection Force. And before that, there were many other uh, uh, coalition of militia groups. And it was not uncommon to see them again. This is back before the LNA was uh, at the gates of Tripoli, so to speak, uh, fighting amongst each other on anything from, you know, accusations that one militia arrested uh, other militia uh, members uh, over influence on different neighborhoods inside the city. And so there, there's definitely hostilities even within uh, the coalitions. There are militia reinforcements from the city of Misrata coming to Tripoli's defense against Haftar's offensive. And that includes militias that defeated the Islamic State in Sirte in 2016. How does the fighting effectiveness vary between the different militias? So the coalition that defeated uh, IS in Sirte, uh, Bunyan al-Masus, or BAM, uh, is actually one of the stronger uh, military faction, uh, battle-tested, uh, relatively good equipment, uh, more cohesive than uh, the Tripoli uh, militia coalitions. And they also worked closely with uh, uh, British, American advisors during their fight against the Islamic State, and got some training, got some uh, advisors set up with them and also has an Italian contingent uh, currently in the Misrata uh, air base. So they're definitely a, a force to be reckoned with in that sense. However, they also have their own problems to worry about. That's not to say that, you know, Tripoli is not uh, a top interest of them, uh, but they also need to be able to secure their immediate vicinity uh, and their interest uh, more towards the oil crescent uh, which is one of the main concerns as of now, uh, is that the LNA, in order to prevent uh, the reinforcements from reaching Tripoli, will try to open a second front. That's not to say that they will attack the city of Misrata itself, um, but harass them along the way, maybe try to make gains uh, in Sirt, which is in the eastern uh, side of, uh, of Misrata, just to pull Misrata forces away from Tripoli and isolate the city from what could be um, uh, definitely a, a major factor in the fighting in the city. You're listening to The Crisis Next Door. I'm Jason Brooks, and we're talking about Libya's civil war. 
with Oded Berkowitz, Regional Director of Intelligence for Max Security, a geopolitical risk consulting firm based in Tel Aviv. Haftar controls much of Libya's territory, uh, but is that a big problem when it comes to his supply lines? It, it, is he overextended, and, and is that something that the GNA can exploit? Definitely. And so, first of all, control is a very loose term like anything else in Libya, and he controls very strategic assets in Libya, but his force is not strong enough to hold control in all of these areas. So what we've often seen long before the Tripoli campaign started is LNA forces capturing or going on an offensive into a region, securing that region, and then leaving a small contingent to take care of the strategic assets and reallocating the, the main force into another front, just because uh, it's not sustainable. Now, there are um, reports that uh, it's difficult to gauge how credible they are because there's a lot of disinformation and, and the information war, uh, especially now in Libya, uh, is very difficult to, uh, to handle that some of the captured LNA vehicles, the, the ones that were captured by uh, Tripoli militias, uh, were found to be uh, out of fuel and so on. And even without that, uh, the supply lines are vast. Uh, Tripoli is not close to any um, any major LNA base. Uh, the few air bases that they have uh, in the area, or the one main operational one, El Watiya, are not enough to sustain the whole forces. And add to that the fact that uh, the LNA just finished a campaign in the Fezzan region, the, the southern region of the country, close to Chad and Niger, and uh, the southern border with Algeria, and, and then uh, very rapidly moved up to the north without uh, consolidating their control there, uh, without a lot of time to resupply and rest and so on. And so all of these would play a factor in the LNA potentially being overextended at this point, um, which is something that opposing militias can utilize uh, to regain control uh, over some of their lost interests, especially if we're talking about the oil fields in the south, and also the oil field and oil terminals in the central region or the oil crescent. How critical is the control over those oil fields? I know Haftar has been using air power extensively to grab the oil fields in the south of the country. They pro probably cannot be overstated. And this is Libya's main export. Uh, it's the lifeline. Uh, it's the most strategic asset the country has to offer, probably, along with its uh, reach into the Mediterranean uh, Sea. And so whoever has control over the oil in Libya uh, has a lot of leverage in the country. You mentioned some of the issues in regards to the supply lines, not consolidating <laughs> rear positions. It seems like there are some tactical questions within Haftar's strategy. Does that give you concern as he gets ready to assault a city with over one million people in it? Sure. But the question is, what actually are his plans? And it's very difficult for us to gauge at this point. But as I mentioned before, this was very unexpected. Uh, Haftar has been saber-rattling towards Tripoli for the past at least uh, four to five years. And there are a lot of uh, previous indications that he's threatening Tripoli in the past. Uh, but this was very unexpected because of the fact that they just concluded a military operation in the south and, and because their force was deemed unready uh, to launch into Tripoli. Now, if we take previous examples, such as Benghazi, 
such as Dern at a smaller scale, um, the LA strategy has been to mostly encircle the city and try to get as much of the local population uh, to switch to their side and have them start unrest within the city, have them distract uh, the opposing forces' uh, attention and gear it to within the city, and, and then try to go into the city with uh, facing as minimal resistance as possible. Now, again, this whole campaign has been very unexpected, but if we draw on precedent and we look at the current uh, you know, force placement, it's very possible that this is what the LNA is trying to do. They realize that they're not strong enough to go head on into Tripoli, definitely not at their current situation. Um, and it is possible that they will try to besiege the city, weaken the militias that they're facing, get the local population to become even more discontent uh, with the GNA, potentially try to sway uh, the alliance of some of the local militias in favor of the LNA, even if out of pure interest uh, alone, and, and then to try to go into the city facing as little resistance as possible. How critical is Haftar's support from Egypt and the UAE? Do Cairo and Abu Dhabi fear the Islamist groups in their own countries enough where they want to support Haftar's aims in Libya? It's very critical. Um, the whole Islamist and anti-Islamist dichotomy um, is not that much relevant for Libya at this point. It used to be more relevant and still debatable uh, up until three to four years ago. Uh, but right now, uh, the LNA, though, it always classified itself as anti-Islamist and, and working against political Islam, also has Islamist units within its own uh, uh, formations. And uh, GNA is not you know, classified as, uh, as Islamist, uh, unlike its predecessor, the GNC, uh, which has become uh, uh, defunct. Uh, Cairo and the UAE played and continue to play uh, a major role in support of the LNA. They provided uh, some of the hardware, some of the direct military support that we've seen in the past. Uh, and it's not out of the realm of possibilities that they continue to do so now. Uh, part of it in the past was in order to deflect or uh, dethrone the Islamists. Uh, it definitely has to do with their concerns uh, regionally and domestically. Uh, uh, for Islamists, uh, but it also has to do with, uh, you know, strategic uh, interests and economic interests. Uh, as we mentioned, there's oil in Libya, there's the access to the Mediterranean Sea, and Libya borders uh, Egypt and, and is critical for its strategic defense, as well as the fact that Haftar and Sisi uh, are very much alike and are favorable to each other. And so all of these play a major factor in, in the LNA support. Let's talk about Turkey and, and Qatar. Uh, Ankara and Doha support the Libyan Muslim Brotherhood and other Islamist groups which are anti-Haftar. How important is their support for the GNA survival? So Turkey and Qatar uh, are main proponents of support for the Islamist factions and not so much for the GNA anymore. To support the GNC, the predecessor of the GNA, and, and now uh, support to a lesser extent than in the past uh, forces in Misrata, Misrata uh, Military Council and so on. And at this point, their role uh, is not as big 
uh, as it used to be and is not equivalent to the role that Haftar's backers play. And that is possibly uh, at least part of the reason why Haftar was able to increase its influence, uh, or sorry, his influence at this point. But uh, the GNA no longer uh, relies on, on Qatar and Turkey. Does this offensive raise the specter of even greater instability for Libya, uh, dashing the hopes for a uh, so-called Tunisian model for Libya with a democratically elected civilian government? Is that something that does not seem like a likely prospect any time in the near future? So the, the GNA was not democratically elected, and that, that is part of the problem and, and part of the reason of, of what we're seeing. GNA uh, The GNA is considered by many Libyans to be a foreign installed government and a government that never won uh, the, the local support and, and never reasoned uh, with the locals. And that is, again, potentially part of the reason why Haftar is rising in power is because some of the locals say, you know what, he is a strong man and his rule will definitely be authoritarian, but at least he is not, you know, foreign installed. Uh, at least he's working towards uh, uniting the the country and so on. Um, so in that sense, it will be it'll be wrong to look at the GNA or the whole model as as uh, equal to Tunisia. Um, the prospects of of elections and any kind of democracy at this point seem uh, very far away. Jihadist groups seem to be always looking for an area to exploit. This could be another one. Should the rest of North Africa, possibly Europe as well, be worried about the Islamic State and other jihadists taking root in Libya? So both the Islamic State and al-Qaeda are very well entrenched in Libya. Uh, The Islamic State uh, controlled a, a large portion of the center of the country and the largest uh, the Islamic State ever controlled outside of Iraq and Syria. And, and even though they lost it uh, uh, by uh, uh, the Banyan Marsu's campaign, uh, they never actually left the country. Uh, and actually, over the past year, we've seen some very notable attacks that uh, the Islamic State conducted, including against the foreign ministry in Tripoli, uh, some notable ones uh, in Misrata, and especially in the south of the country, where they actually uh, took control over entire towns, villages, briefly uh, abducted some of the local population and withdrew. And on the backdrop of this is the fact that um, IS especially always thrives in a scenario where two uh, different groups are pitted against each other and, and are distracted by uh, the ongoing fighting between them. That is, by the way, how they you know, gained their territory in Libya in 2015, is when the LNA was fighting the then Libya Dawn coalition, uh, and the both both sides were too distracted to notice the Islamic State uh, increasing its uh, its power and influence, um, and we actually saw that uh, a couple of days ago, where again the Islamic State, while everybody was focused on Tripoli, uh, raided uh, a town that had raided several times in the past, Al Fuka, uh, again in the center of the country took brief control of the of the center, executed a few people, uh, set a few buildings on fire, and then withdrew. So the Islamic State is nowhere near as powerful as it used to be, uh, but this is definitely one of its uh, opportunities to, again, rear their head and, and boost uh, influence and operations in Libya. Alongside, the, alongside them is also um, al-Qaeda and AQIM, al-Qaeda and Islamic Maghreb, 
who are not as active in Libya and definitely not uh, on offensive terms, uh, but have strong networks in the south-southwest of the country uh, to support operations in the Sahara. Uh, and again, similar to IS, this is a, a golden opportunity for them to uh, uh, expand, re-entrench themselves and whatever they lost during the, the LNA operations in the south. Libya has been racked with lawlessness since Gaddafi's fall. And given the extreme factionalism on all sides, what's your estimation for the country becoming a normalized state player in the future? I guess that depends on your definition of a normalized uh, player. Look, predicting the future is, is very difficult. And, and especially in Libya, there's always surprises. And, but there doesn't seem to be any kind of uh, uh, immediate solution at this point. And the country is too torn apart and any efforts, any outside efforts to remedy the situation and seem to, they definitely did not work, but potentially made things worse. And, and it's one of those situations that uh, will probably only be resolved domestically. Uh, but that means that over the short term, there's going to be a lot of people suffering and uh, even more instability. A grim future for Libya, indeed. Oded, thank you very much for joining us on The Crisis Next Door. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. We've been talking with Oded Berkowitz, Regional Director of Intelligence for Max Security, a geopolitical risk consulting firm based in Tel Aviv. Thanks for listening to The Crisis Next Door. I'm Jason Brooks. Till next time. The Crisis Next Door with host Jason Brooks is produced weekly. If you have any thoughts for Jason, email him at tcndpodcast at kcbsradio.com. Again, that's tcndpodcast at kcbsradio.com. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.